You're listening to the Faith Unpacked Podcast. Welcome back to the Faith Unpacked Podcast with Jason and Jamie. This is episode 245. And today I'm going to talk about spiritual disciplines. And the reason I want to talk about this is there there's an open question as to whether, you know, spiritual discipline is the same as legalism to focus or to to spend concerted effort or time on something. You know, it's so easy to mix that up with legalism. And I know many people have done that, right? Like, oh, if I make Christianity anything more than just a relationship with Jesus, then I've wandered off into the path of legalism. And I want to push back on that narrative a little bit. Like, yes, of course, we want to and must have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The entire gospel is centered on this, that we are sinful and desperately in need of salvation through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross exclusively. He dealt with the punishment of our sin and restored us in relationship to the Father, in relationship to God himself. And at the same time, we are also called to live in a sanctified way. We are called to live and walk as the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that means something. In fact, Jesus talks about how if we love him, we will keep his commandments. In John chapter 14, you see that. You see it also in John chapter 15 as well. And even in the book of Jude, where we're called to keep in the love uh, of the Lord, uh, to keep in you know the, the love of God, and this is not a works-based righteousness or works-based salvation, but it is simply a recognition that as a believer in Jesus, I not only live for the the for a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but I also walk or seek to walk and live in the way that God would call me to walk and live. Right. And we're told in Psalms 119, the the question is, you know, how can a young man keep his way pure by focusing on your word? And then the author goes on to say, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so there is this other side of it, which is if I truly love the Lord, if I truly want to walk in line with God, then I will be obedient to God's word. And that obedience is not a something that results in my salvation, right? It actually has nothing to do with me. I cannot save myself. I cannot bring about salvation or sanctification of my own making. There's literally nothing that I can do on that end. You know, the Apostle Paul makes that really clear in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. It is Jesus who brings this about. And, and Paul even further drives home that point in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 2, 
where at the, the end of the chapter, he says a very similar thing in relationship to even the law. He says in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Basically, Christ died for nothing. Basically, Christ is a fool if I can save myself because he died when he didn't have to die. And so seeking to follow the Lord is not legalism. Legalism is seeking your salvation or your sanctification by your own human effort, by your own human will or ability. And in most cases, legalism is accompanied by, you know, adding to God's good word, taking personal convictions or personal beliefs or the things that God has led me to recognize are not good for me and applying them as equal to God's word in an effort to bring about my own salvation or my own sanctification by my own effort, which of course we cannot do. But in relationship, when and if we truly love the Lord, then we actually have a desire to obey him because that's how love works, right? If you are married and you love your spouse, you want to please your spouse. That That's just a normal byproduct of that love. And so that should be true of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, definitely. And then the other side of that is if I'm legitimately a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I have the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in me draws me away from my sin and towards the truth of God. And so whether in my flesh prior to Christ was no desire to to follow God and to be godly with the presence of the Holy Spirit, I now have this war that, that goes on inside me in a sense. I have the desire that comes from the Holy Spirit that wants to do God's God's uh, good law, wants to live in line with God's good law and good word. And then I also have the flesh in me, the sinful part that, you know, still wants to please the flesh. And so one of the things that becomes necessary in a good, healthy relationship with the Lord is to have some spiritual discipline, is, is to make that a priority, recognizing that, you know, relationship does not happen by accident, right? You don't accidentally end up married and you don't accidentally end up having a healthy and happy marriage. You don't accidentally make friends. You don't accidentally sustain and deepen those friendships when you have them. All of these things are willful choices and they take, you know, real work. They take real effort in the sense of I, if I want to grow, if I want to see God do great work in me, then then I have to know him and I have to know his word. I have to come to know the God for whom I am in a relationship with. Because we also recognize there's a lot of falsehoods out there. There's a lot of things that would and could distract us from the truth of God's word and even draw us into a different gospel uh, with a different God and a different salvation and a different Jesus. And there's lots of that. I mean, we're warned in scripture a lot that there are 
lots of false doctrines, lots of false gospels, all these kinds of things. And I really like the way the Apostle Paul addresses this topic in First First Timothy chapter 4. He begins the chapter by saying, um, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from food which God has created to be gratefully gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer and so Paul you know begins by reminding us or encouraging us in this text that hey there are definitely those who will come along and they will present a different gospel. They will present a different view. And in fact, they will actually challenge the very notions that are in God's good word that of, you know, what things are supposed to be. And he gives some examples of marriage and food. And of course, there are those who come along and disparage marriage and or uh, say, you know, it's not really godly or the, the godly person does not engage in it. And yet we see in scripture that God's design for marriage is good, that that God created marriage as a picture of his love for the church. We see that in Ephesians 5, for example, where uh, the Apostle Paul says, you know, he's he's been talking about marriage between a husband and a wife and all these, you know, this beautiful picture of what marriage is and what God intends it to be. And then Paul says, you know, this mystery is profound, but I'm really talking about Christ and the church. And you see, there's a beauty in God's design for marriage. There's a um, wholesome purpose in it. There, there's a design of creating you know, the stable unit upon which kids are supposed to or meant to be reared in, you know, God's good design, in God's good picture. And it's meant to be a bonding thing that leads a man and a woman to come together for um, the, the work of the work that God has called them to do in their life as partners, as um, co errors, so to speak, of the the passion and vision that God has given them and to, you know, reign and sustain in this life. And so it's it's a beautiful thing on multiple levels. And then ultimately it becomes a picture of Christ's love for the church. And in that way, it's worship. It's beautiful. And just like that, you know, God creates all these things which are meant to be enjoyed for our good, right? God created food. This was God's good design for the purpose of sustaining humans and also for delight. Uh, I truly believe, you know, just like marriage, marriage is meant to bring delight and draw us into the worship of God. Well, I think food is the same way, right? The God created this for good and for delight, and also to draw us into the worship of God. 
literally every good thing in God's design is there to to draw us ultimately into worship um and and you see that in those those particular cases but you notice you know Paul's point here is to say these these people that come along they'll always come along and they'll try and disparage or change what God created what is good what God has great noble purpose in what God has great uh, redemptive purpose in what God has great um, imagery right pictures of himself and his glory and his union and all these kinds of things and they'll come along and try and change it you know they'll come along and try and reject it and replace it with some other human view right or human perspective and these these are people that according to Paul here in verse 1 they are um, following deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons that that literally these these other views these other ideas these other doctrines are literally demonic they they literally come from the enemy of our souls not from God and certainly have no good or godly or moral purpose at all and their end is a destructive one their end is not something good and so so he warns about this just recognize this will be the the case and understand these people will try and get you to reject that which God created as good that which God ordained as good and replace it with something else and then Paul goes on we're still in first Timothy chapter four, uh, now verse six in pointing out these things to you, brethren, you to your brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourishing, nourished on the word of faith and of the sound doctrine, which you have been following. So it's an encouragement that, you know, we are too focused. We are to spend time teaching and encouraging and certainly reading and understanding God's word to avoid those pitfalls uh, for the sustenance of our faith, for the building of our faith. And he goes on, verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for older women. On the other hand, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. Such an interesting phrase, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, which obviously requires knowledge of the truth. He's already said that in verse 6, that that's how you build your faith is on the truth, right? Being nourished on the truth of God's word. And now he's encouraging you to uh, purpose um discipline and, and purpose yourself for godliness, which is direct activity. It's a, it's a direct movement, right? This is not something that just happens in a passive sense where it's like, okay, I become disciplined for the truth of God just by existing. Um, obviously, this requires some actual effort. Otherwise, he would say, oh, you're just existing and then the result is great godliness that's not what he says no this takes great discipline and part of it is recognizing you know i will always be moving towards something 
And if I'm not actively moving towards the Lord, I'm going to be actively moving towards something else. And in most cases, that something else is our flesh, right? Or human reason or human wisdom or something like this that gets us 100% off course of God's good design and God's good teaching and God's good word and onto something else altogether different. And so there's an activity here. I, I discipline myself for the purpose of God, godliness. And then he backs this up, verse 8, for godly or for bodily discipline is only of little profit, meaning it's only good for the sustenance of your body itself, but that's it. And then he says, but godliness is fit for the things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So there's, there's a greater value in this spiritual uh, discipline. Um, unlike physical discipline, the discipline of the body to exercise, that's great for the body, but the body still dies, right? That, that ends at some point. And yet the spiritual disciplines, these are not just good for the present time and this life here and now, but also for the one to come because this discipline is focused on God's good, which God's good word is the best for human flourishing. So it's, it's an encouragement that is much greater than just, oh, what, what's my thought or what's my feeling or whatever. It's no, literally the designer, the Lord who created all things and ordered all things and sustains all things. He also tells us, this is the best for human flourishing. And so it has that that value for for life here and now, but it is also valuable for the life that is to come. And that is a big deal, right? The fact that the, the closer we grow to the Lord and the more we seek to live and serve the Lord, the, the greater that is for us in, in the life to come, that in the presence of the Lord, uh, we have that, um, we get to enter into that fullness of that joy that right now is just a promise, right? Right now is just something we look forward to and, and yet it gets better, deeper, richer in the life to come. He goes on in verse nine, it is trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance for it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So we have this encouragement. We have this focus. Why? Because our eyes, our, um, our focus is fixed on the living God. Our focus is is what, you know, that's the thing in which we're striving for. We're not striving for the flesh in this case because we're spiritually disciplined. We're not striving for the here and now. We're not striving to be famous in this life. We're not striving to be rich in this life. We're not striving for any of these kinds of things. We've fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of the believers. And then Paul goes on with even more pragmatic advice as if, that wasn't enough pragmatic advice. He goes on to encourage us still even more. 
he says, uh, prescribe and teach these things. So we are to not only focus on God's word and seek this discipline in our own lives, but we are also to encourage it, to, to fully prescribe to it, and to teach these things to other people as well. He says in verse 12, let no one look down on you because of your youthfulness, but rather in your speech, in your conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to be an example for those who believe. This is the personal aspects of this, right? Nobody believes what we say if it is separate from what we do. I mean, what we say actually becomes useless and nonsense when it literally is not backed up by the way we live our lives, by the way we behave, by the conduct of our character in the workplace, in the home, in community, in the church, right? In, in all of these contexts, the, the encouragement here, particularly to men, is... And, but this applies to everyone. And, you know, he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Um, it's not specific to a given gender. We know the Apostle Paul is talking here to his true son in the faith, as he calls him, uh, Timothy. But certainly there's application for women as well. But particularly for men that are called to be the spiritual leaders in the home, in community, in the church, in all these contexts, uh, that this becomes super important that in speech, in conduct, love, faith, and purity, we show ourselves an example with our lives, right? That's a being an example with your lives. The, the same thing that Peter calls an elder to do in First Peter chapter 5, verse 3, where, you know, an elder is not to lord over people is not to be this big menacing authority figure that is out you know serving themselves or forcing people to um to to celebrate them or treat them in a reverential way or you know exercise this kind of um, position for their own personal benefit and certainly the the lord jesus christ is the ultimate example of that kind of leadership where we see in Philippians chapter 2, this example that, that comes directly from the Lord, right? It says in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, um, or other translations say used for his own advantage, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every... Um, uh, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and those who are on earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so you see this example setting in conduct, in attitude, in behavior, in 
uh, faith, in purity, in all of it. And then he goes on in verse 13. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhort and uh, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gifts within you, which has been bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that the progress, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourselves and to the teaching. Persevere in these things for as you do this, you will endure salvation both for yourselves and for those who hear you. This is a heavy chapter in some senses where, you know, Paul's really doubling down hardcore on this idea of spiritual discipline. Hey, if you want to grow, if you want to walk in the way of the Lord, if you want to live in a way that brings God glory and honor, then you must absolutely be a person that's about discipline. You know, somebody who lives to bring God glory, somebody who lives to showcase how amazing God's work is. And that becomes, you know, a profound testament to the gospel, right? So many people are out there thinking, well, if you look just like the world, why should I be interested in this Jesus guy at all, right? If the church just looks like the world, then why should why should we care? Literally, why should we give it any mind or give it any attention? And, and Paul is encouraging us to be people of great spiritual discipline, that, that we really spend the time in God's word, that we really spend the time in prayer, that we really seek to get to know God, the God who saved us, the God who sanctifies us, the God who ultimately redeems us and draws us to himself and eventually is the God of his people that that gets to that we get to be with and be in awe of for all eternity in the presence and glory of God himself. And to that end, none of this discipline is unimportant. To that end, none of this discipline is a waste of time. None of this effort will we ever regret, right? The more we go grow closer to the, the Lord, the more we want to grow closer to the Lord. The more I get to see the glory of God, the more I want to see the glory of God. The more I see God's good design played out, the more I want to partake in it. The more I want to be and live in the fullness that God has for me in this life now and also in the one to come. The more I do that, the, the more I see how awe and awesome God's good design is. But that literally takes active work and it will not happen on its own. You notice how often Paul was encouraging us in this chapter to action, encouraging us to movement, right? Move closer to the Lord, move closer to him by his word, spend time in prayer, spend time reading, right? Devote yourself to not only just reading it and understanding it, but also teaching it to others as well. 
right? That's part of this process. We want to grow and want to understand and also want to share so that other people can come to know the, the goodness of God in who he truly is. And so I guess to summarize all of this, spiritual discipline is super important. Spiritual discipline is absolutely necessary. Spiritual discipline is what ultimately draws us into deeper and deeper and richer relationship with this amazing God who saves us, who sanctifies us, and who makes us, literally makes us, his children in and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Unpacked podcast. We're so thankful for your time. We hope and pray that these encourage your faith and walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to hear past episodes, you can find them on our website at faithunpacked.com. We'd also invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcasting site. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media, or you can send us an email at faithunpacked at gmail.com. And we invite you back next time as we continue to unpack our faith together.